Welcome, my friends, to the broadcast of Faith Mountain Ministries. Recently, I had a pastor ask me this question. When's the last time you preached a message on communion, and do you have anything recorded out there? Well, I do, but it's been a long time. And I felt like it was a, an invitation from the Lord through a friend to sit down and, and preach again, speak again on the bread and the wine, the blood and the body. The moment at a table where Jesus introduced to humanity a new covenant. This new covenant relationship with God is beyond anything we've ever known before. But just like the incarnation, God chose a very low-key moment to introduce the new covenant. I mean, I think we would argue that the incarnation is the greatest event in the history of humanity, where God stepped into flesh to take on uh, all of the uh, limitations of being a human being, the ability to feel pain, the ability to suffer, and even the ability to die, the ability to be hurt and to be rejected, the ability to be misunderstood. You walk through all the temptations that we ever face, and the Bible says, yet without sin. And the moment that introduced that into humanity was very low-key, being born in a stable in Bethlehem. And yet, it's the greatest moment in the history of humanity. And arguably, we could look at the New Covenant and say, this is just as much of a low-key event as the Incarnation was. The Law of Moses introduced the Old Mosaic Covenant to mankind was quite an operation. I mean, the spectacle on Mount Sinai was really way up there with anything that you and I could ever begin to imagine. And so much of a spectacle that it put fear in the heart of every person who, who witnessed it. And then God drew Moses to the mountain to inscribe with his own hand upon tablets of stone, commandments, laws, declarations over us of who we are not so that we could surrender to be who we really are. It was all really meant to break lies of a false identity off of us so that we would not sin, so that we wouldn't walk in a way contrary to the heart and the mind of our Heavenly Father. And that spectacle of the introduction of the old covenant that came with rules and laws and manners of worship and the institution of the tabernacle and the building of the Ark of the Covenant and all of the things that went into that certainly probably made it seem like it was something that was everlasting and never going away. How then could that kind of a spectacle, ceremony, and covenant be replaced with something that is introduced at a dinner table? Something where Jesus takes what's within reach and breaks the bread and lifts the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. This is my body broken for you. And every time you do this, remember me. He takes and introduces the reality of this invitational relational union with God into humanity so that a distant and holy God would no longer be separated from a, an unholy humanity, but that the righteousness of this amazing, extravagant creator of all would be made available to be tasted, touched, grasped, handled like food, ingested and, and letting the nutrients of that literally go throughout our physical being so that just as the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, 
the, the life of a spiritual connection with God would quicken, make alive your physical, mortal body. That's why we pray for healing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a charismatic thing. It's not a it's not a, a certain sect of Christianity that just goes after and should pray for healing. It's really any person who sees the totality of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And as Isaiah said, that in his stripes and by his stripes, we were healed. We realize that healing is within the atonement on the cross. Healing is in the blood of Christ. Healing is in the broken body of Jesus Christ. Of course, the greatest miracle of healing that could ever be is a changed life. And we celebrate changed lives, transforming, converting grace every time we celebrate a moment of communion. But I got to tell you, communion is not just something that you do when you come to church once a week or once a month, you have a communion service. And now this is, this is a moment uh, that was meant to become a lifestyle. Every meal that we have is meant to be a communion. Uh, a few nights ago, I sat with some dear friends and we all uh, sat around a table and just took whatever we had uh, beverage-wise and food-wise before us and put Jesus right in the middle of the moment. It's not so much about the elements. It's about what the elements represent. And yet within the context of those elements, there is an incredible meaning that we're going to discover and explore today. As we sat in this moment, just became aware of the presence of the Lord in our midst. And it was just in a home, around a table, in a cabin in the woods. And it was rich with revelation and presence as the Holy Spirit just made himself known to each of us around the table. Everyone shared what they felt like the Lord was speaking, saying to them. And, and both young and old, we all had the similar experience that God was with us, Emmanuel, God with us, that the incarnation didn't end with the ascension, that Jesus didn't rock it off to some other place, but that he just stepped from one realm into another, not distant, but just different. And yet we seated in heavenly places with him, make that realm available every time we include him in our daily life. I think it's interesting that he made us to have uh, the need for a meal uh, multiple times a day. And as we sit to have a time of communion with each other, we are encouraged to make him part of that meal. There's so many things I want to get into today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, if you go to Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 26 from verse 20 on down. And as you're going there, let me just pray a blessing over you today. So Lord, I pray that you would just bless every one of our listeners today. Every person who listens to this broadcast today, may they find a fresh revelation and wisdom as we un unpack the beautiful revelation of your word, the incarnation, the Eucharist, the communion moment that makes it possible for us to experience spirit, soul, and body, a revelation of our union with you that there's no distance and separation between us. We celebrate that union today. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment, for this communion, for this time. Amen. In Matthew chapter 26, and starting in verse 20, this is what we read. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. 
And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. It's interesting because in this moment, you get a picture that Jesus was fully aware that not everybody was all in for the plan that was set before him. And one that would betray him was not excluded from the table. You see that? That Judas was right there with the rest of the group. And, and it's important to understand that nobody is to be excluded from the table. Communion doesn't take away your ability to accept or reject Jesus. It, it literally is an invitation. It's a moment of an invitation to surrender. Now, Judas may have surrendered to a moment in sharing uh, in the communion ceremony, but he didn't surrender his entire life to Christ. And it's possible to take communion and still not discern rightly the body of Christ. Discern yourself as part of the body of Christ. So there's some principles that I want to give you today in terms of understanding communion. Number one, communion is a moment of triumph. It's a moment of victory. It's a moment of celebration. We make this a somber ceremony because it seems like in this moment we're remembering the death of Christ. But the story of the cross is not just about the death of Christ. It's about the resurrection as well. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said it like this, that if Christ isn't raised from the dead, we are still in our sins. So it's not just the death of Christ that saves you. The death without the resurrection would have done nothing. To complete the entire process, there had to be a resurrection. And it doesn't mean that the death doesn't matter. The death facilitated the resurrection. Without the death, there would have been no opportunity for resurrection. But the resurrection was the defeat of death. And isn't it interesting that the enemy of death was, in a way, surrendered to by Jesus so that then it could be overcome? Now, we don't surrender to sin in our lives to overcome it. But even sins that we have surrendered to, we still have the ability to be redeemed from and resurrected out of. So just because you've made mistakes in your past, it doesn't uh, nullify the grace of God over your life. Grace is not for perfect people. Otherwise, it would not be called grace. Grace is for those who need it the most. Grace is for those who have failed. Judas here is about to fail badly. You know what the Bible says, though, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus allowed Judas to participate in this communion moment, perhaps to let us know that the victory of Christ was everybody's victory. It belongs to all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. 
Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says, I heard a loud voice saying from heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So communion is a new covenant victory, a new covenant celebration for Christ won the victory over the devil once and for all, over sin once and for all, for all of us. Read the end of Ephesians chapter 1 for more on this. The last five verses give you such a picture of the scope of what the cross accomplished that it's just mind-blowing. Communion is reminding us of this conquering moment of Christ. And when Jesus tells us to drink the cup of the blood of the new covenant and do this in remembrance of me, he's bringing us into an awareness of how close he wants to be with us. Jesus is the Lamb of God, slain uh, from the foundation of the world, the propitiation of our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, redeeming us from the power of sin and death and the devil. So the Lord's Supper, or what is known in the Greek word as Eucharist or the Eucharisto, is meant for us to give thanks. Let me let me just give you a, a, a few words about what this word Eucharist actually means. Eucharist, in, in a sense, in Greek, literally means thanksgiving, but it's much more than that. There's a couple of meanings that are actually embedded within the word Eucharist, and those are the words grace and joy. Grace is charis, and joy is kara. Eucharist is the joyful offering of thanksgiving. We're doing this, in a sense, in return or in gratitude for the gift of grace given to us by God. And, uh, you know, in in Orthodox uh, churches, when they offer uh, the prayer for the Eucharist, this is what they say. We offer to you these things from your own gifts in all and for all. So this isn't just a symbol of the Lord's Supper, um, a meal that's some kind of a memorial, all right? In Protestant tradition where, you know, where I grew up, we've, we've made the Eucharist or the communion basically a symbol or a memorial, but it is so much more than just symbolic and a memorial. It's, it's actually a moment of, think of the word communion, a common union, a union of the earthly with the heavenly, the physical with the spiritual. The Eucharist is, is seen as holy, in a sense. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16 says, The cup of the blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? In other words, are we not united with the blood and with the body of Christ. You understand this. Communion is not our invention, okay? This is not an idea we came up with. When we do communion, when we partake of this communion moment, you got to understand this is something that was literally a physical act invented by God. The idea of 
Christ himself, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, said, here is something to do that connects you and I together. It's a wonder that we don't take this more seriously. And I'm really challenged to take it more seriously, even in my own life. Because from Christ himself came this idea as a perfect way for us to be united or to celebrate our union with him. When we study what Paul wrote about communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, it speaks of this, when you come together, in other words, as the church, the, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, when you come together, this is what you, you do. It, it, the idea here is that we celebrate uh, this this Eucharistic moment to celebrate who we are. It's it's not what we do that makes us who we are. It's who we are that should inform what we do. Because we are children of God, because we are saved by the blood of the Lamb, because we are in the new covenant, we celebrate this amazing meal together, this Eucharistic moment of the blood of and the body of Christ. Now, I didn't grow up Catholic. I grew up Protestant. And so because of that, the things that I have learned about the Catholic tradition over the years or the Orthodox tradition have been hard to understand in some cases. For example, one of the things you may have heard is that the bread and the wine of communion become the literal blood and body of Christ in that moment. As a child, I thought, ooh, that's, that's a little weird. But then you begin to realize maybe there's something spiritually that we need to discern about this. Rightly discerning and understanding the Lord's body is kind of a big deal. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about preparing yourself through careful self-examination. One of the only times in the Bible we're actually encouraged to be introspective. Uh, prayerful fasting, repentance, approaching the cup and the, the bread with the fear of God and faith and love, recognizing and in this moment, I mean, what would it be like if we, even as Protestants, would take it in this moment saying, okay, wait a minute, we are partaking of the true blood and body of Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the impartation of eternal life, salvation. There's a few scriptures that I can give you for that. Matthew 26, 28 being one, John chapter 6, verse 53 to 54. Now, I'm not even going to try to explain uh, how you can perceive the bread and wine as truly the physical blood and body of Christ. I think the Eucharist is meant to be a, a mystery, okay? Uh, Protestant and Catholic alike don't even try to explain this away. But it's not meant to be uh, perceived just with our physical senses. Uh, St. Cyril of Jerusalem offered this advice, and I want to just read something that uh, that he wrote. He said this, Do not think of the elements as mere bread and wine. According to the Lord's declaration, they are Christ's body and blood, although sense suggests the opposite. Let faith hold you firm. Instead of judging the matter by taste, let faith give you an unshakable confidence that you have been privileged to receive the body and blood of Christ. Now, that might seem like a completely foreign concept to many of you who grew up in Protestant evangelical churches. But the idea of what would it be like if we approached the communion table like that? 
that what we are consuming in this moment when we include him in the meal literally becomes the body and blood of Christ. I want to offer you perhaps another suggestion of thought, and that is this. If the mystery of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and and you and I are spoken of in Scripture as the body of Christ, then whatever you take into yourself literally can be seen as becoming a part of that body of Christ. And for those who maybe struggle with addiction, maybe this is something that you understand that it's not just your physical body you're uh, impacting. It's the body of Christ uh, to harm, to mutilate, to hurt our own bodies is like hurting the body of Christ. Why? Because the Bible says he's made you his home and he's made you his temple. And we don't worship the temple. The temple was created to worship God. We worship God in this temple, but we do not worship the temple. Yet the way we treat the temple often reflects our heart, our attitude of worship, not just to God, but a revelation that we have of the promise of what God has done in making us his home. It does nothing for our witness before the world when we abuse the temple of our body and then claim to be a disciple of Christ. I don't say this to bring us into any air of legalism at all, but I say this to help us to understand that this temple that we've been given of a body is a gift a grace for us. And as we discern the Lord's body in whatever it is that we partake of, we may find ourselves either increasing our lifespan or decreasing our lifespan. Call it temple maintenance, if you like. There's a celebration of dwelling and union. John chapter 6, verse 56, Jesus says, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So the Eucharist is a celebration of communion with God, but not just communion with God. It's a celebration of communion with one another. It's a testimony towards union and unity with one another. It's the idea that the table is in, in open invitation here. Everyone can come to the table. You say, well, Bill, what about people who don't understand? Listen, did Judas understand what he was doing in that moment? No. But Jesus still invited him to the table. He said, you dip in this cup with me. He said, the one who dips in the cup with me is going to betray me. And Judas is like, is it me? I mean, he knew his own heart. And yet Jesus didn't exclude him from the table. He didn't chase him out, but he gave him the freedom to go. And that's the deal. The freedom to come and the freedom to go is something that we offer to people when it comes to bringing people to Christ, inviting people to the table of communion. Uh, The table of communion doesn't uh, put you in a headlock to love or serve God. It brings you to a place where you can be discipled by the Holy Spirit. To sit down at a table with other believers is a moment to be discipled, a moment to ask questions and get answers, a moment to break bread and be physically and spiritually nourished together. But there's also the moment of the closed table. 
Justin Martyr said in the second century, he said, this food we call the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake except one who believes that the things we teach are true and has received the washing for forgiveness of sins and rebirth and who lives as Christ handed down to us. So there are moments where the table is evangelistic, open to everyone, as a reminder that the blood of Christ was shed for all. But then there are moments around a table where we we gather together in a place where we can dig into the deeper things of God, where we can affirm that we have made this decision to lay our lives down for Christ. And I think there's there's a depth of revelation, of understanding that can come in those moments. Gregory of Nicaea said this, he says, in the, the purpose of Christ's coming was to bring human nature into closeness with the divine nature. Then, and this is a quote, through his flesh, constituted by bread and wine, he implants himself in all believers. So you have this incredible picture of this close, not just spiritual, but physical communion of believers together in Christ. St. Cyril of Alexandria in the 5th century, he wrote this. He says, Just as if someone were to entwine two pieces of wax together and melt them with fire so that both are made one, so too through the participation in the body of Christ and his precious blood, he is united in us and we too in him. What a beautiful picture of union. In the Eucharist, All the dimensions of common union are entwined together. God communicates himself to us in that moment of communion, where human beings can enter into communion with him. Those who are participating in communion enter into that revelation of union with one another and with really creation as a whole. And creation itself enters in through humanity into communion with God. So the Eucharist of, of the this blood and body moment of union with Jesus is not just a symbolic human gesture. It's It literally is one of the most intimate physical and spiritual possibilities that we can engage in as human beings, as members of the church, as members of the body of Jesus Christ himself. It's that intimate spiritual communion of the faithful with one another brought together by the Holy Spirit that ultimately makes us the body of Christ. The Bible does give a warning against taking communion in an unworthy manner. And to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner simply means we don't allow the full power and provision of this moment of new covenant revelation, the cup of the new covenant to be manifest in our lives. And you can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 to 32. What we're doing in this moment is we limit the full worth of the price Jesus Christ paid for our complete healing and deliverance. So the purpose of this blood of the new covenant is that Jesus Christ paid not just for your sins, but the full, the full provision of every need of our lives. Sin, healing, all that stuff is dealt with in the cup, on the cross, in the power of the resurrection. So to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is to limit, in a sense, by our unbelief, the fullness of the provision of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
Understand these things about the the new covenant and the communion. The new covenant was made available to us by the blood of Christ once and for all and his death and resurrection on the cross. The new covenant provides healing, financial provision, peace of mind, deliverance, freedom from fear, and spiritual power and purpose in our lives. It symbolizes makes real for us that the blood of the covenant, the blood of Jesus, has made it possible for us to receive the full value, the full worth of God's unlimited provision in every area of our lives. Salvation is not just for the afterlife, as my dear friend Jim Baker says, but it's for your whole life. So the reality of this provision made possible in the blood of Christ, let this revelation of what communion is and does, turn your understanding upside down. Let it give you a a revelation of how good God is and how this goodness can actually be manifest in every area of your life. This is the reality of the total provision of the cross, the blood of the new covenant. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, some of my favorite scriptures. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, the yoke in Jesus' day meant the teaching of the rabbi. It was is what we uh, listen to and hear. And if it's too heavy for us, listen, Lay that down and let the teaching of Jesus become a rest for you. Just rest in the Eucharist, the communion with Christ. I'm at the end of my time. You can write to us at Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. You can also jump online at VanderbushMinistries.com and listen to this broadcast again by subscribing to it on iTunes or Spotify. You can support us online as well by going to VanderbushMinistries.com. It's an ancient website, but it still works. There's a little give button on every screen. You can just hit that, and that's one of the quickest ways that you can be a support and a blessing to us. This is Bill Vanderbush from all of us here at Faith Mountain Ministries. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.